uh, in civil procedure today, we talked about diversity jurisdiction. And just to give, once again, a brief overview. So we have subject matter jurisdiction. And underneath subject matter jurisdiction, there's federal question jurisdiction or diversity jurisdiction. And you need to meet either one of these two things to find subject matter jurisdiction. And if you find subject matter jurisdiction, you can check off that box, meaning we met this, we can carry on with our case as long as you meet the other requirements of personal jurisdiction and so on and so forth. But what is diversity jurisdiction? Well, diversity jurisdiction is outlined in 28 U.S.C. section 1332. And what it states, pretty much, uh, it's kind of long, so I'll just summarize, but a state claim that arises from diverse parties can be heard in a federal court. And that's ultimately what diversity jurisdiction is. So what is required to actually find diversity jurisdiction? Well, there's two prongs. The first prong is that the parties in question need to be domiciled from different states, meaning that they're diverse. And the second prong is the amount in controversy, and that's the amount of money that's in debate within this claim. So let's focus on domicile for today. That's what we're going to be spending our time on. At least that's what we spent our time on with class. And there's a majority test for domicile, or rather how you define domicile. And we've talked about domicile in the past with a general uh, jurisdiction. But here, this is different because we're no longer looking at trying to meet a personal jurisdiction requirement. Instead, we're trying to meet a subject matter jurisdiction requirement. For general jurisdiction, we only focus on the domicile of the defendant. Here, we're only focusing on, actually, we're focusing on the domicile of both parties, or rather, all parties involved in the lawsuit. So, for domicile, there's two tests, focusing on only how the majority understands domicile. This test is outlined in Gordon v. Still, and what happened in this case is they were trying to determine whether or not this uh, person was domiciled in Idaho or domiciled in Pennsylvania because they need to be diverse. What happened is that the plaintiff here was suing in federal court, currently living in Idaho, but originally from Pennsylvania, and they were suing Pennsylvania defendants. So if they are different, meaning if the plaintiff was from Idaho, well, then there's actual jurisdiction. This ground is met. But if the plaintiff was from Pennsylvania, it was not met. So how do you determine whether or not you're domiciled in a specific place? Well, the domicile test is simply just stating that you need to have physical presence in that state and two, an intent to remain there indefinitely. And that word indefinitely is very key. That just means that once you're at some place, you don't really have any plans to go back to where you were from before. So in this case, the plaintiff had moved to Idaho for school and had no intention to move back to Pennsylvania. And they could have moved back to Pennsylvania, but they didn't have to. And that's the difference between indefinitely and permanently because the test doesn't say intent to remain permanently because that just means that you can't move again. It's intent to remain indefinitely. So, for example, if you're going to school, say I'm from Utah, I moved to Iowa for school, 
for law school. If I have that intent to return back to Utah after school, my domicile remains in Utah. However, if there's ever an inkling of thought where I might not go back to Utah, where I might practice in Iowa, or I might practice in Nebraska, or New York, Florida, California, wherever it might be, as soon as I have that inkling of a thought of not going back to Utah, well, and then my domicile has changed. And so that's how you define domicile underneath the majority test. However, there is a couple more things that we need to talk about as far as diversity goes, and that's minimal diversity and complete diversity. Article 3 of the Constitution talks about, well, rather, it doesn't talk about. Article 3 of the Constitution pretty much says uh, parties of different states can sue each other in a federal court. Section 1332, pretty much word for word, says the exact same thing. However, the Supreme Court has interpreted Section 1332 to mean something different. The difference here is going to be minimal diversity and complete diversity. So under Article 3 of the Constitution, minimal diversity is all right. Under Section 1332, you can't have minimal diversity. It has to be complete diversity. So what is minimal diversity? Well, it's when there is only some diversity between the parties. And so, for example, say you have a Wisconsin plaintiff and a Minnesota plaintiff versus a Minnesota defendant. Well, you have some diversity because there's a Wisconsin plaintiff and a Minnesota defendant, but you don't have complete diversity because there's still a Minnesota plaintiff present against the Minnesota defendant. So it's only minimal diversity in that case. What's the difference between that and complete diversity? Well, complete diversity is when all the parties on the other side of the verses are going to be from different states. So, for example, a Wisconsin plaintiff and an Iowa plaintiff versus a Minnesota plaintiff. As long as all the plaintiffs are different from all the defendants, then you have complete diversity. And we see this case in Cardin versus Acoma Associates. And what happened here is that Acoma Associates are they're a limited partnership uh, incorporated in Arizona, and they're suing uh, people in Louisiana. The issue that we have in this case is that one of the partners in the corporation had domicile in Louisiana. And so we're wondering whether or not this company, and it's not a company, sorry, this partnership has complete domicile, complete diversity, or only minimal diversity. Because if it doesn't have complete diversity, they can't hear this case because that's how the Supreme Court has interpreted Section 1332. So, a corporation can have complete diversity even if some of the parties are in Louisiana. And notice that there's that difference between a corporation and a limited partnership. A corporation is incorporated in the estate or is principal place of conduct and we on principal place of business, and we've talked about that in the past, about how that's the domicile of the company. It's different for a limited partnership, and in that sense, a limited partnership 
you have to look at all the parties of the partners, even the, so you have the general partners and then you have the limited partners and the limited partners don't really have much of a say of what's going on in the company, but they still are necessary to look at for purposes of diversity. In Arcoma, one of the partners, a limited partner was in Louisiana and the defendants were in Louisiana. And so there was not complete diversity. And because of that, it was case dismissed. And what, the way that you can say that is this destroyed complete diversity. One final thing to know as far as diversity goes is that complete diversity needs to be met only at the time of filing. So even if there's no diversity once a trial begins, that doesn't matter as long as you have diversity, complete diversity at the time of filing. If that's the case, you can move to the state where you're currently suing the other party after it's filed, and that won't be dismissed for lack of diversity. Okay, so let's just sum up diversity jurisdiction real quick. We have 28 U.S.C. 1332. Underneath that, you need to look at the domicile of the the different parties, make sure that they're separate, and you need to look at the amount of content the amount of money in controversy. For domicile, we have the majority test, which is the physical presence plus the intent to remain indefinitely. And we have minimal diversity and complete diversity. And because the Supreme Court has interpreted Section 1332 to mean only complete diversity, you need to ensure that there is complete diversity in order to find subject matter jurisdiction. Tomorrow, we have a couple more cases. I believe only one more case is about that, and it's going to focus on diversity jurisdiction between foreign parties, and that's something that we'll talk about tomorrow, and then we'll focus on the amounting controversy as well. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.